Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, the podcast that is passing wisdom to the next generation of athletes, coaches, and parents to transform the next generation of leaders on and off the court. So in today's episode, I have a beautiful opportunity to interview Coach K. She is the founder of Game Changers Performance, and she has also been a coach and a teacher for previous 15 years prior with softball and field hockey. So in today's episode, we talk a lot about how to respond to mistakes as coaches, how to create safe spaces for athletes to feel like they belong, how to create cultures that not only are successful during games, but throughout the entire season. It's really action-packed, and I can't wait to share it with y'all. So let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the show, Coach K. I'm really excited to talk about you know, all the different things around the mental game, the mindset, but also how we get them to buy into the team and also how the pandemic has affected how we need to reach and impact our youth now. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get started and, and chat a little bit. Sounds good. Let's dive right in. Um, what So Bridging Impact is all about, you know, kind of bridging impact from one generation to the next as a coach, parents to, you know, athletes, right? And so with that, what has, how has sports made an impact on your life? Oh, um, I feel like I came out of the womb just into sports. Uh, my father was a high school football and wrestling coach my entire upbringing. So weekends were spent on the football field, you know, vacations. We didn't have those growing up. Like we didn't get to go away. So like our vacation was spent in the wrestling room and the weight room. I grew up around a lot of really strong men. Um, and I was very lucky that like all of my dad's athletes became like my babysitters. And then eventually, you know, it was funny because they became educators and teachers and coaches themselves. And then as I was coming through, some of them were like my teachers, some of them were my own coaches. So it was really, I mean, my entire life was sports. Like there was nothing else. Um, I think I tried dance for a little bit and I quickly realized I wasn't a dancer. Um, and honestly, you know, uh, I have a little sister and, and she's a division one athlete. She's a division one coach. So we laughed that if we would have grown up in this generation, we wonder if we would have played football or we would have wrestled because back then it wasn't, you weren't really allowed to. And it's just interesting to see like how sports are evolved. But yeah, I mean, my entire life has just been in the sports world. I, I know nothing else to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely in the same way, right? Like all those memories from when we were younger, all the like, you know, life lessons are from from sports. And so now that we have that opportunity as coaches, what has that, what has your experience, right, been like before you, you know, started Game Changers, you know, you've been a coach for 15 years. How is that, you know, your experience from going from player to coach? And what were you like when you were, you know, first couple of years as a coach? Oh, gosh. So I've always been that teammate that, um, like, I grew up being, like, a, a culture kid. I mean, just football and wrestling alone, like, it's very, like, brotherhood, you know, very much together. Like, you know, we grew up on the old school football movies, and, you know, quotes were a big thing, you know, like, having quotes in, in the house. Like, we always had quotes to live by. So as an athlete, that was always kind of, like, the role that I played on teams that I was on. Um, which naturally manifested into becoming like a captain and a leader. It just That's just something that came naturally. So as I became a coach, I noticed that there was nobody doing what I was doing and, or like what I used to do. So I really spent a lot of time with my athletes kind of encouraging them and, and teaching them like this, you know, intrinsic motivator along the way. I was the coach who would print out the quotes. I was the coach who always was like, hanging up things in the locker room. I was always sending them little things. Um, we always had classroom time. I was probably like one of the only high school coaches at the time that really valued sitting my athletes down into in a classroom and like having classroom discussions because most coaches were like, what are you doing? And I just feel like that was where you got the most out of those kids were through those conversations because the two hours on the field, you're strictly skilled. Right? And like, you got to jump right into, you know, game plans and who's playing where. So classroom sessions really allowed me to like take a step back and instill in them the lessons that like my father instilled in me. 
Right. No, I think that's really um, a great point because I even noticed that, like, I have that interest, you know, in using those classroom sessions and teaching leadership and a lot of those different life lessons that I think when I went to a camp, it was called PGC basketball. One of, it was one of the reasons it's so effective is because they have classroom sessions and kind of like you're able to learn the game, learn leadership. And so I do notice like a lot of coaches spend a ton of time in the gym, ton of time on like physical skill development, but it's not always the mental and the leadership skill development. So that's a really important part and process. And so, you know, as you, kind of developed into your, you know, your own coaching philosophy, how did you see those, you know, classroom sessions impacting their physical, you know, outcomes in, in games? Um, you know, we talked a lot about leadership. You know, I, I think the biggest misconception is that like kids just know how to lead. And like, sometimes they do, but like in, in this generation, I, I truly believe that we have a lot of gaps. So when I would sit down with my athletes, it was more of like answering their questions, right? Like they want to do well, they want to perform. They just sometimes don't know how. So I love answering their questions. I love seeing them apply it onto the field. I mean, like when I work with a team and they don't communicate that well, and then all of a sudden I start working with them and, you know, they go out into the field and now all of a sudden you see them huddling up, you see them more physical touch, more high fives. It's like the stuff that's tr that we're focusing on in the classroom, like they're doing it. But at the end of the day, they have to do it, right? Like we could talk about this until we're blue in the face, but it has to take one kid that it clicks with them. And that was the biggest uh, hurdle because not every kid wants to be the one that steps away from like what they've always done or they don't want to step away from like what their friends are doing. So that was probably the big, that's a big hurdle. And I think it's a hurdle to this day. I mean, I, I still see it where it's, we don't really know. Um, we don't really want to go against the grain, but I mean, the teams that do, you could tell they're happier. They are, they're more like, a sh like sure of themselves as a whole. Like they may not be sure of themselves as a person, but like together with their team, they feel supported. They feel worthy. They feel valued. And it's because, you know, in the classroom, we're all talking and we're all like, doesn't matter, you know, what grade level you are, whether you're a freshman or a senior, you know, in those classrooms, we all can kind of engage in conversations. And then, it, you know, conversation helps people kind of unite and come together and, and learn a little bit about each other. So I, I do see on the field that the teams that really buy into it, especially the teams that I used to coach, you know, they, they were happy and we had really great memories and really, you know, especially at the high school level, college level, you know. We, we want to win but high school level it's about making it enjoyable so that they walk away and they have good memories you, you never want a kid to walk away from the sport saying like i hated it no i think that's a really good point and i'm actually really curious because i know sometimes uh, especially you know on the boys side you know it's like that's not cool to kind of like you know be cheesy high five you know clap bring that you know championship energy championship spirit and you know, you talked about going against the grain a little bit as a coach and, and now, you know, obviously as a, as a mental performance coach as well, how do you get, how do you cultivate that buy-in with a team that's, you know, kind of giving a little bit of pushback? Um, it's funny because I've, I mean, I work with it every single day. I, I know the kids that are like just sitting there and, and listening and they're not going to absorb anything. It's, it, I like to tell kids and coaches, it, it is a long haul. It is a, you have to put time and effort into it. This is not something that's just going to be done after, you know, one classroom session. It has to be repetitive. It has to be continuous um, because, you know, you want to get all sciencey and stuff. Like our subconscious does most of our thinking. And if I am a kid who's 16 years old, I've been creating my subconscious for 16 years. So if I want to change something, I have to continuously do it in my conscious brain, right? And do it over and over and over again. And it, it you know, there's like, it's out there, it says like there's 28 days until you can create a habit and then 90 days until that habit becomes part of your lifestyle. So I try to like challenge athletes. It's like, well, if it takes 28 days to create a habit, you know, how many days are in our season? And then if it takes 90 days for this to, you know, become something that we're going to do, that is an entire season. And it's almost impossible to think that we're going to, uh, you know, accomplish it in that time frame. But what I like to do is I like to really kind of hone in on what 
can we do that's controllable? So like if energy, like for example, if like the energy is really down and I don't see a lot of high fives and it's, you know, not cool to care, like that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with, okay, what can we do? How can we come together? You know, teaching them the importance of why it's important and then showing them how to do it. I will say, in the last few months, I've really kind of narrowed down, like, my role as a mental performance coach when I work with teams is teams bring me the what, right? Like, they bring me what they want, and then it's my job to challenge them and ask them, why do you want this, right? Because then your why is in a direct line to the amount of effort you're going to give. So if kids know why they're doing it, I'm going to be able to push them a little bit more. If kids don't know why they're doing it, they're not going to do it. Doesn't matter how great I make it seem or sound. So teams provide me the what, I ask the why, and then I provide the how. This is how you can do it. And the more hows I provide, the more options athletes have to make it their own. Because every athlete wants to know that like I'm an individual, right? This is uh, this is who I am. But if I provide them with enough examples they're going to find the one that works for them the best and they're going to do it their way. But what I'm noticing is a lot of times when I walk into teams, it's just the what and the why and there's no how. And if there's no how kids are going to, they don't want to fail. They don't want others to look at them negatively. So they're not even going to try for the fear that they're going to fail. But if we give them the how and then everybody has the how, now you've got everybody taking more risks. And I always ask athletes, if you're not, or I always tell athletes, if you're not taking risks at practice, it means that you don't feel safe there. And if we don't feel safe at practice, then we have to do something about that first. So yeah, I might want them to be outgoing with their energy, but if they don't have, if they don't feel safe, then I have to scrap that energy piece. And now we have to talk about, okay, how do we treat each other? How do we want to feel in this environment? So it really is a lot of questions on my part to really kind of get to the root of what it is that they really want. And then once again, you, you explain this to kids, especially this generation, they just want to know why, and then they're going to make up their mind anyway. But if you care enough, to like stop and like talk to them about it. I can't tell you how many coaches get mad at me or get mad because they're like, I don't have time for all these questions. And I'm like, true. You, you don't like, right. Like I get it. Two hours on the field. I, I get that you don't have time. But if you don't make time for it, this is always going to be a hurdle that you're going to have to jump. Right. So yeah, no, that's a really good part. Take one season, take one year saying, okay, we're going to implement classroom time, you know, once a week, we're going to do this once a week, because you want to set the foundation. Once you have that strong foundation, you can build other teams on top of it. But if you don't have that strong foundation, every year you're like starting from square one and that's frustrating. And that's why a lot of coaches leave the game. That's, that's really interesting because I think of, you know, some of the coaches that I've worked with before, they just want to, there's so much to teach, right? There's so much on court, right? Ba basketball yeah. is kind of my world, right? And there's so much on court to teach that I feel like sometimes is honestly, I feel like a vulnerability aspect to teaching some of the how behind, you know, teamwork and leadership, yeah. like what if they don't buy into it, you know, and like yeah. some of the things that as a coach, you kind of have to be vulnerable to teach the how, because you have to show the how, right? You can't just tell it, at, yell it at them. Um, and it's kind of like that patience, that cat and mouse game. And I know that's something that I know I want to continue to get better at, because sometimes I, that was the first thing I learned as a coach is like, I can't tell someone to do something without showing them how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And so Honestly, you made it an interesting point. You talk about like how a 16 year old, let's take a 16 year old, for example, their subconscious is what's telling them a lot of different decisions. So in our pre pre podcast call, we were talking about the pandemic and how that obviously is now affecting a lot of teenagers and I'm sure college kids, honestly, it's affecting everyone's kind of, you know, especially those that were developing brains, you know, perspective, yeah. subconscious around high fives and just teamwork, locker room. Can yeah. you explain a little bit more about what you were talking to me and how that's really affected, you know, athletes' ability to connect now? Yeah. So we have to really think of, of the pandemic through the eyes of the kids who went through it, right? So me, I know what life was like before the pandemic. So when the pandemic goes over, you know, quote unquote, it's, 
you know, we're not really worried about it anymore. As an adult, it was really easy for me to go back to my normal lifestyle. But for a kid, for the last few years of their life, we have been telling them, no, no, you cannot get together with your friends. No, you can't do this. No, you can't go there. You have to ask for permission. So basically, there was like three, like two, three years of their lives where they had to ask for permission for everything. They had to constantly, you know, ask questions. They weren't allowed to go into the locker room. There was no bus rides. You know, we were practicing in pods. They weren't even all together. And as as adults, we don't think that was a big a big deal. But now at the college level, like what I'm seeing is that there is no locker room culture, unless the upperclassmen upperclassmen who have who remembered their freshman year their senior year of high school and they were able to recreate it but what I ran into was a lot of upperclassmen getting frustrated that the underclassmen didn't understand and my first question was always well have you explained why or like have you explained this is what we do like we hang out in here and, and this is how we like we bond and it's you know, all these upperclassmen were like, no, like, why do I have to explain that? And it's like, well, think about what they just did for the last few years. They weren't allowed to. So those key developing high school year, high, middle school and high school years where you're hanging out with your friends in the locker room, you know, you're, you're going to the deli before um, games, you know, night games after school. You're, you're hanging out with your friends at the football game, right? They weren't allowed to do that. So they turned to social media. That's how they were social. So now we want them, like as an adult, like we just want them to just go back to normal, but they don't know what normal is. They've created their, their new normal. And now adults, we are the abnormal ones. So when I walk into a team and I see that there is like internal conflict like this, it's we have to explain why. And then maybe we have to take a little bit of what we used to do, a little bit of what we are doing now and like find that happy medium. But that's only done through conversation. But what I'm noticing is that underclassmen, they communicate solely through their phones. Upperclassmen, we understand the relationship piece of it, and they're more willing to have conversations together. And there is a clash that's going on right now. And I will say it's, you know, it's getting better with every year that things are returning back to quote-unquote normal. But we also have to realize that they missed out on so much, so much natural, like, the natural hierarchy of, you know, grade levels, right? The natural, you know, I will say there's a lot more, I hate to use the word drama, but there's a lot more drama going on at the college level that I feel like because we missed out on it in the high school level and usually you get squished in high school, right? You do it, you experience it, you hate it, we move on and now we're an adult, we're in college, we're not going to do that anymore. I feel like we've missed out on that. So now there's a lot more hurdles and obstacles to jump through because, they just missed out on all this time that they were naturally going to learn it. But the pandemic kind of put a big halt on that. That's a really interesting point because I just, ever since we had that conversation the other day, everything's just started to make, you know, kind of sense in terms of, you know, like players just don't know, you know, like, right. We talked about layup lines and giving high fives, right. And locker room culture. And, and honestly, you know, college uh, or in college, you know, talking about the drama and understanding just how to deal with interpersonal conflict within teams. It's, it's just, yeah. it's a big challenge. So as you know, what kind of tools and, and, you know, obviously I think patience and being consistent, kind of like what you were talking about earlier are a big thing, but what other tools can, can coaches and, and parents use to help their athletes kind of learn and, and, and move through this? So to be completely honest, um, whenever I am working with athletes, I always say it's their job. It's not the coach's job or the parent's job, right? So I want athletes to realize that, like, this is their life and that they are the main character of their story. So if they don't like something that's going on, they have to do something about it. Um, But I think the first thing what I like to really um, explain to athletes is that, like, as humans, like, we are naturally a connective creature, right? Like we, we, we travel in packs, right? So like think of like all the pack animal mentalities, right? Like wolves and, you know, you got school of fish, right? So it's like, as a human, we are naturally connected to other humans who share similar interests. And like, that's what a team is, right? But in this day and age, it's so easy to have other interests. 
because of social media. We're exposed to a whole lot more that's out there. So what I like to do is, is I like to just sit and, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person where I like to see a problem, but then I also see the solution. So when teams bring me their problems, it's my biggest piece uh, of information that I like to leave them with is, well, what can you do about it? And I go in and, you know, I, I do talk a lot about controllables and uncontrollables with athletes. And, you know, people are uncontrollable, right? I can't control another human being, another living, breathing, thinking human being. I only have influence over them. But the only way I'm going to positively influence them is if I take an interest in who they are and I try to get to know them, right? I can't, we no longer live in a world where we can just dictate, right? No offense, but upperclassmen, seniors, captains, leaders, you, we no longer live in a world where you just bark orders and people fall into line. So I grew up in, in the generation that was tough love, right? People could bark orders and we just did it. This generation is growing up in the, I like to call them, they're like the love tough generation. They want to know that you genuinely care about them and then you can be tough with them. So it's like athletes know that like, I create a safe space, right? I, when an athlete visits me on Zoom, it's very, you know, judgment-free. We talk about their problems. When I'm with teams, we, we talk about this mental stuff. I, I give them this safe space. I, I'm a very emotional um, person. Uh, you know, I, I give hugs. I give high fives. I'm very theatrical. I'm Italian. I'm a Leo. I use my hands a lot. But if I go to a game or if I go to a practice and I witness something not happening like for example I went to a basketball practice like, uh, like a few months ago and I watched this girl make the same mistake four times and not a single one of her teammates said anything about it so I just strolled out into the court told the coaches I I'm calling a timeout and like I never do that like I don't think that, that that's my place but I brought them in and I, and I got mad I was like we have been working on and like I laid out to them all that they said they wanted to do. And they were, so they basically, I was like, you're talking the talk, but you are not walking the walk. I go, I cannot believe we just let her fail four times. So then, you know, they all look like hurt puppies and they're all upset. And I'm like, I'm getting on you because this is something that you said you wanted. If this isn't what you want, then I will just forget about it. And I'll shift my conversations with you in the classroom. So after that, they all went back out. They all pumped her up. And the next few rounds, anybody who made a mistake, they like stopped the drill, redid it. And, and, and I was like, that's it. Like, that's how we're going to get through this is by communicating to each other. But I do feel like I build a very good relationship with the teams I work with where I can get on them. Um, sometimes the kids, you know, kids tell me that like I'm the coach that comes in and gives them a swift kick in the ass. But then I also give them an, a, but in the same breath, I give them a hug. So they're like, coach, come, it, it's like you come in and it's like you lay down the hammer, but then you're also like there to be okay with our feelings. But I think it's up to, it's up to the athletes, right? If we want high fives, we need to tell them like, not only why are high fives important, but how, how can we do the high fives? Maybe kids aren't cool with touching and that's fine. There are a lot of kids now that, that, you know, the boundary issues. So it's like, well, what else can we do? How can we collectively come together maybe without physically coming together, you know? So it's like, it's planting those seeds and then you're hoping that there's one or two athletes that are going to take those seeds and grow them into a plant, but also other people are going to follow along. It's all about connection and communication. I truly believe like teams that really talk to each other about this stuff. And honestly, I can say this because I was that person that would always bring my team into the locker room. And we would always, like I, felt the need to have a quote for the season or a phrase or a mantra, right? I was the athlete that was like, coach, can we get this printed on a t-shirt for us? Or I was the one who like put the quote in the locker room. So every day we walked in and we saw it. I was the one, you know, together on three, right? So it's like, that was the role that I naturally took. And that is why I feel so passionate in the fact that I can say this to athletes because I can back it up with a story. And I will say that most athletes really appreciate the story because it paints an even better picture for them. And then they can see themselves in that story. 
Yeah, that definitely makes sense. They become the character in the story that you're telling that they can start living out now. And I think that's a really good and important life lesson. And that's what one of the reasons that I coach is like to try and equip them with the skills so they can make those choices and changes on their own. Because the, the, I think when I first started just as boys and girls club, like not even necessarily like a after school coach, I think I just wanted to do everything. I just wanted to always be there for them. But when you do that, when you like over coach, you over, you know, I guess over parent, you're not really equipping them with the tools that they necessarily need to solve their own problems. And so that's where the question asking kind of comes in. And also the accountability piece is really big and important too, because if they're going to, you know, continue to be making mistakes, right. We have to correct them, but also, you know, with boys, you know, I I've had this issue earlier. It's like, they don't correct them in the right way. They just say, you know, the, they'll use a word that I'm not going to use on, on, on the podcast and then say, you know, you suck. Right. You know, and I'm just like trying to work with them. Like, that's not exactly how we correct behavior. I understand that you don't want them to make the same mistake over and over again, but at the same time, they are our teammates and we have to do, you know, certain things in a different way. So it's just like, it's always a process. I will say something that really kind of gets to me is like when, you know, in this day and age, when we're angry with our athletes and like, I've done this too. So like, this is why I can can like say it, but like, sometimes you're like, we need more energy or you need more effort, right? Or, Hey, no one's showing heart today. I feel like those blank, like those bland phrases have got to go because you're making an assumption. And as adults, we make assumptions every day. So like, we need to also be vulnerable vulnerable enough to know that we don't have all the answers and that's where I feel like question asking really comes into play because even like myself if an athlete asks me a question and I don't know the answer I don't pretend to know the answer I want them to know that I'm a human being just like them and I'm learning right alongside them so I will say that when I was in college I didn't have a very good relationship with my coach but I had a great relationship with my team so it's like looking back I have like a I have more good than bad memories, but like I didn't have a very fun experience as a college athlete. Um, but in the same breath, like uh, to this day, like my teammates and I are still super close. Like literally we have a Facebook page and like we get together all the time. Like it's just, it's so special to have those relationships. But I will say, I will never forget. Um, there was one game where we like poured our hearts into that game and like we wound up losing and it was like really upsetting. And like, I personally had done really well and like, not just like saying like, well, I did good, but it was like, I personally made sure that like I kept everybody on my team up. Like I was really wanting to win that game. And I remember at the end of the game, like we're all like so defeated because we've lost by like one run and it was, uh, I played college softball and we were upset and like people were, were waiting for us to like get on the bus and like to go back home and it's gonna be a long trip home. And I remember my coach looking at us and she goes, you need to show more heart. And I remember in that moment feeling so angry that as a junior captain, because that's what I was, I stood up and I said, you have zero right to say that right now because we all poured our hearts into that game. And I remember that was like the one time that I got up, got my bag and just walked to the bus. And I do regret that moment still as an adult because in true teen fashion, right? Like I reacted, but I will never forget how that made me feel. So like when I'm working with athletes, I, I'm very aware of the words that I'm choosing. So it's like, if I want to say that they need more heart, I ask them, hey, what, are, what is it that we're playing for here? You know, why is it that we're on this court together or on this field together? You know, sometimes I even tap into what would younger you say if she or he was to look at you right now? So instead of like challenging their heart, I'm picking at their heart strings because I know that I never want an athlete to feel the way that I felt in that moment, especially, you know, knowing that you gave it your all and you still lost and all you want your coach to do in that moment is tell you like, I'm sorry, like it didn't go the way we wanted to just let's get on the bus. And instead she chose to use those words. And it was like, yeah, that just, that sticks with you. And like, I'm 37. And that happened like when I was like, what, 20. So it's like, that feels, that moment is still fresh in my mind. No, that's a really, really good point. And 
especially for coaches to understand, you know, how much power their words and then the like mm-hmm. tone and energy they put in those words really have on our players, right? Like they take, they really do take those things to heart. And I think one of the interesting things that I, as I was hearing you talk, I think about some of the players and the athletes that, you know, I work with um, as an assistant coach and, and the eyes that they, they, they dart over to, you know, the varsity coach as soon as they make a mistake. And I think it's something that we yeah. were talking about a little bit more oh. on yeah. on the pre-podcast call like it's there they validate so much of what you know kind of like other people think right it's not even just superiors it's yeah. like the same their colleagues because of social media and I'm curious you know how you've seen that work out and and how you what conversations you've had about that as well with athletes um and, and the progress you've made with that to me the, the looking over at our coach immediately when we make a mistake is not like we value our coach. It's we fear. We're, we're fearful in that moment. That is, a, that is a subconscious move, and that's putting us in fight or flight. And in that moment, we're in flight, right? We're, we're fearful. So when I'm working with athletes, the first thing that I always do is I talk about the conscious and subconscious mind. And I tell them that your subconscious mind, inside it, lives ego and fear, which is AKA your fight or flight. And your subconscious, it's, it's your subconscious's job to protect you. Think back to when we were like cave people, right? Our subconscious was either we're going to fight this dinosaur or, or we're going to run away from the dinosaur, right? Like, like that's what your subconscious's job is. So your subconscious doesn't understand. Actually, I just made a post about this today on my Instagram. Your subconscious doesn't understand the difference between like good stress, bad stress. It just feels stress and you reacting or you having emotions is triggering the subconscious. So when I make a mistake, our brain, where our subconscious and conscious live, our brain doesn't, it's not a verbal being. Our brain is physical. So if our brain was verbal, we could say, hey, brush that off. We're fine. And then our brain would be like, oh, okay. Like, thanks for letting me know. But that's not how our brain works. Our brain works on emotion. So the minute we mess up, we have a bad emotion and then boom, fight or flight kicks in. So it's almost as if we have to, again, train our brain and to understand the difference between different emotions and different feelings, but it's also understanding you as a person. And I tell athletes, I want you, you have to, at the end of the day, are the only person that can really judge you. Right. Yes, I know you want playing time. Yes, I know you want your coach to be happy with you. But at the end of the day, I want you to be happy with yourself. I want you to look at your strengths and weaknesses and, and, you know, be proud and then be motivated to work harder. Right. So it's like a sense of self is what I really want to empower these athletes with, whether you're male or female. It's who are you? And I think once athletes start to understand I'm in control of how I react or respond, right? So reacting is a very subconscious skill, right? We just, we react. So sometimes reactions are good. Like if I'm a goalie and I, you know, I'm a lacrosse goalie and I put my stick up and I stop a shot, that's a great reaction. If I see somebody being bullied and I step in, that's a great reaction. But bad reactions are yelling at a ref and getting carded or yelling at your coach and getting pulled out of the game, or crying in the middle of the game because your emotions are overtaking you and you have to be subbed out. But responding is a very conscious thing that you have to do. So when we respond in adversity, it's almost as if we're telling our brain, calm down, we got this. So I wanna teach athletes that the difference between reacting and responding, or the difference between activating your conscious or your subconscious is one breath. So take a breath and then you basically are, after you take that breath, you have to insert something because as humans, we only have three seconds to bounce back after we make mistakes. And that is like a fact for all of life. So in that moment where you mess up and you're taking your first three seconds to look over at your coach, you're already defeated. But in those first three seconds, if you can take a breath, I always then encourage them, is there something you can say to yourself or is there something you can read so when I when I say read I mean is there something you can write on your arm on your shoe on your piece of equipment where in the moment you're having those 
subconscious doubts, if we put something in front of our view and our brain takes in that information, that's igniting your conscious. And your subconscious and your conscious cannot work at the same time. So by reading something, you are more likely to stick with the conscious mind. And the conscious mind is the smart mind. It's like the, okay, we could do this. So if I see an athlete, if I see an athlete after they make mistakes, look over to, to, their, to their coach, what I like to do is encourage them to come up with their own mistake response. I also call them mistake rituals. So in the moment where I mess up, this is what I'm going to do. So for example, I have a, an athlete who used to, you know, after she messed up on, on, on the court, would look over her at her coach, her shoulders would shrug, her head would go down, and like literally she'd be subbed out. So what we started was, okay, the, the second you make that mistake, what is the next thing you can do? So she often makes mistakes on like offense. So she's like, well, I can play defense. Like, great. So you have three seconds to get to the other side of the court and defend. And I will tell you that she's been doing this for a year now, like a year we've been focusing. So like last season to this season, this season, she still is making mistakes, but like her steals on the basketball court, like her percentage has gone up. The, the, the amount of rebounds she's got has gone up. So she is seeing in percentages that when I don't hang my head and I just get to work, I'm doing good things. Even though in the moment she's probably still upset with herself, it's like we're channeling your energy in a different way. Um, I also have a lacrosse goalie who used to always look down at her feet, like look down after a goal went in. And I talk a lot about body language. If you're looking down and like shrugging your shoulders, like what are you showing everybody? You're defeated. Right, you're showing everybody, like the other team's like, yeah, we got her. So instead, I have written things on her cleats. So now anytime she looks down to the world, it looks like she's defeated, but she's really reading. And there's like six affirmations. There's like three on each shoe. And she has to say all of them. And then she added her own little ritual where she like steps out of the cage, walks around the back of the cage, and then steps back in. And like, she'll do that every time. So now people are, instead of looking at her like she's defeated, people are more intrigued as like, what is she doing? But it's like, she's, she's going through her ritual. So it's three seconds. And, I, and every athlete is different. So every athlete has different emotions and different feelings, right? So it's helping each athlete understand that within those three seconds, you have to do something that works for you. So I provide so many examples. But at the end of the day, you have to pick what's going to work for you because you're the one doing it, not me. And it's, if, if it means something to them, like I often encourage athletes to like, you know, what is a phrase that like your parents say to you? Or what is a really empowering word that you use? It's like, you know, some kids are like, well, I have this word tattooed on me and I really like it. It's like, great. That's your word then. Like, what does that word mean to you? It obviously meant enough to get it tattooed on you. What does it mean to you? And it's like, when we dissect those words and we dissect those phrases, like it, it empowers you, right? So I want athletes to feel empowered in the moment where they mess up, where it's like, I can handle this instead of, oh my God, I'm going to get taken out. Because if you do get taken out, I want you to go off on that sideline and say, okay, I got taken out. What can I do about it? Instead of like, oh, I got taken out. Like, woe is me. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be pissy. I'm going to be mad. It's like, that's detrimental. But if you get taken out, it's like, okay, what didn't I do? What can I do? Who can I ask? Right? So it's, again, empowering them to take control versus allowing their subconscious to control them. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's, it's really the difference between two points or one run or two runs, right? And those little differentiations, that's, you know, yeah. the difference between a winner or a loss or a championship in second place and so on. You don't want those subconscious feelings to be controlling you, but you also right. don't want as a coach to always be the one yelling, be like mistake response, right? You want to give them the power, the tools like you're talking about to, okay, you know, like I know two clap is, is a common one, two clap. Yeah. And I didn't know that, 
I didn't know the three seconds, you know, so I didn't know. And that honestly, you know, for me, I'm like, even when I make mistakes, so I have to, you know, whether it's, you know, a business mistake, podcast mistake, okay, three seconds. Yeah. All right. Just ask a better question, right? Just, just get to the question quicker. Cause you know, sometimes on a podcast, I will ask like 35 questions in one instead of asking one. So, you know, it's just like, all right, let's just ask one question. Um, so that's really, really good information. Um, and I think it's, it breaks it down and it makes it like pretty simple. And so, you know, have you seen like a lot of coaches, like be able to implement that or, um, in just within practice, I feel like that's some things that just like, don't take too long or, you know, it's kind of depends on the coach. Um, I will say that that's the next area that I really want to tackle is I feel like the work that I do with teams is not often repeated until I come back. And that's my biggest thing is that like, it should be repeated daily. And so I put more, um, I put more pressure on the athletes because at the end of the day, especially at the college level, I mean, it's a little different at the high school level, but at the college level, your coach is hired and fired based on the results that they produce, right? So as a college coach, I really am more worried about putting out the best kids and like getting them to perform and like winning games. Right. And what I really want is for coaches to understand, like the more we pay attention to this stuff, the more you're going to get wins. But at the end of the day, it is the athlete's job to create the environment that they want to be a part of and create the culture that they want to be a part of. And then at the end of the day, they're creating their legacies. So it's like, we're going to talk about you when you graduate. It happens. How do you want that conversation to go? And I am living proof that, like, I did not like my college coach. And I was a captain. And it was known that we did not get along. But there was not a second that I let that relationship get in the way of me demanding the most out of my teammates and being a positive leader. You know, I was always the... I was always the athlete that was like, all right, don't listen to how they're saying it. Listen to what they're saying, right? So even if I didn't agree with what my coaches were saying, it was like I was never going to say that to an athlete. I, you know, grew up with a little bit more respect than that. So it's like, okay, yes, the way they said that was awful, but did you hear what they said? Like, that was true. So I would love for coaches and there are some coaches that I work with that do a really great job. And there are some coaches that I don't work with that I observe. And it's like, Oh, that's great culture. Like I want to like, there's some coaches where it's like, I message them on Instagram and it's like, Hey, listen, I won't even charge you. I just want to come in and like observe what you're doing because your team looks like they actually like each other. And again, the coaches that take the time for this stuff. Um, and at the college level, it's easier because you've got like, off season, right? So like some college coaches that I work with read books with their team. So they have like a, like a theme going into the postseason, which I think is great. Um, high school coaches, it's hard because your kids play different sports, right? They're not with you all year long. So it's like, you have to make an impact right away. But I do feel like if you, my, my biggest piece of advice for like high school coaches is like pick a theme, like uh, one theme for the season. And it could be, you know, it could be pride. It could be energy. But, like, pick it, dissect it. What does it look like? What does it sound like? How can you do it? Put, like, a, put like a mantra with this theme, something that you're going to say in huddles, maybe something that you're going to put on a shirt or you're going to hashtag it, right? Because kids like that stuff. And they want, all kids want to be a part of something. So schools that have really good traditions I find that I don't have to really talk about all of the stuff we talked about today with so much, but teams that don't have good cultures that, you know, have coaches in and out, like they're always getting a new coach, like every two years, like, right. So I think it also goes back to, back to the foundation. When I talk to a team about uh, the, the foundation of their program, it's, I want them to picture like building a house, right? So sometimes like, or building a building. When you are building a building, the construction workers have to, every construction worker has a different job, right? So it's kind of like a team. If somebody doesn't do their job well, that means that the next person is not going to be able to do their job well. So when you lay a foundation, it's, are you laying down a foundation that is sturdy 
for other teams to walk on or for like future teams, like future teammates. So an activity that I really like to do is I like to ask the freshmen, like, what is the ground that you're walking in on this year? And then let them explain it. Because again, my eyes might see something different. Seniors' eyes might see something different. But if we lay our, found, I, you know, I say like, if you lay your foundation with plastic and you build this really great building, the minute adversity hits, and when I say adversity, I mean like team drama, that building is going to come crumbling down and next season we're going to have to start all over again. So sometimes I do encourage coaches to like look at your team. It's like if you really want a great foundation, you might have to spend an entire year on foundation and that's it. So when it comes down to it, really challenging coaches to see their vision of like what they want their program to be. Like, what is your vision? And your vision is often uncontrollable. You can only influence your vision. But then take your vision and apply a mission. And that's where I think your, your season theme comes in. Because a mission is very controllable. So let's say that, like, as a coach, my vision is to be the top, you know, I, I want a program that's in the top three every year. Great. What, what does a top three team do? consistently and that is your mission pick one thing and like dedicate the entire year to it and if you're a high school coach dedicate two or three seasons to it until it becomes something that we just do and then the next layer is hoping that your kids are going to pass the torch they're going to pat like this is what we do here this is our culture this is what we believe in because peer-to-peer interaction is way more influential than coach athletes when it's peer-to-peer it's like this is what we do here we're band together and I mean if you look at really great programs you'll see it the kids just take charge but programs that where like coaches are heavily involved the kids are just like eh, coach will take care of it right it's those player-led teams that really lead to you know great outcomes and great great missions and so I'm curious you know my last kind of question would be so is the mission co-created then with with each team each year, or is it, you know, kind of directed, you know, from the coach, you know, like, I think that's something that I had kind of something that I'm like kind of reflecting on from my first season, right? Like I did co co-create expectations and, yeah. you know, with, and, and I have the younger high school boys, right. I don't even have the little, <laughs> the more developed ones. So they like didn't really know what I was talking about. There's like, let's work hard, you know? And like, you know, yeah. like some pretty, that's pretty simple things. And like, my perspective, yeah. my reflection would be, I want to bring a little bit more of like my mission and, and then co-create mm-hmm. be like this. Cause at first I was like, I don't want it to be only coaches team, but I also realized like, if there's something that I feel really passionate about and I know will work, they just don't understand it yet. I still need to bring that and be repetitive about it and also bring what they bring. Yeah. Um, I think co-creation is perfect. I do think that a, a coach needs to provide a foundation. So whether it's core values or a philosophy or even like a statement, like, you know, the, you know, what I like to do is I like to create like mission statements with, with teams. And it's like inside that mission statement is actionable things that I have control over whether or not I do. So when teams say that they want to be, you know, uh, good role models in the community, the first thing I say is like, okay, well, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Give me an example. So again, whatever a coach does with their team paint the picture that is in your head show them what you see because we all perceive life through our own lenses so if i said i want to be a good role model in the community what i'm thinking of in my head is definitely different than what you're thinking about in your head because you and i didn't grow up together you and i have different backgrounds so when kids come all together they all have different backgrounds and in college it's like holy crap there's kids that have completely like I'm working with a team right now we're like on this team they've got kids from Europe kids from uh the west coast and the east coast it's like this is like a melting pot on this team and it's like if we don't dissect these words together I encourage coaches to have common definitions right we all know what it means to succeed but what does it mean to succeed here on our team we all know what the word fail means but like for me, in as a mental performance coach, failure in my eyes is way different than failure in kids' eyes. Right? I, I watched yesterday. I went to um, 
uh, I had a playoff game with one of my college teams and uh, they, they lost and it was a really bad loss, but it was bad at, on the scoreboard. But because what I was watching wasn't bad. It was just that they were outplayed. But till that last buzzer, they were dripping sweat, working together. So it's like, yeah, in society's eyes, they failed. But for me, they didn't turn on each other. They didn't blame each other. There was tears at the end of the game, generally because they were sad. Like, it was such a great learning opportunity because everyone's going to say they failed, right? And I want them to know that even though the world thinks I failed, on this team, we didn't quit, right? So it's, yeah, we might have not come out on top, but what did we learn? What did we take away? What's that thing that we're going to be proud of, you know, later on down the line when people are like, oh, you lost that game bad. It's like, let them, let them have their opinion. But on this team, we have redefined it. So I do redefine words a lot with teams, especially if they have phrases that they use. So if a team, you know, in the huddle, they say the word together, I always make them define it. What does together look like? Why are we saying it? What's the importance of the word together? I mean, I can't tell you how many family uh, teams I walk into and their motto is family. Like, oh, that's okay. Well, tell me what, tell me what a family looks like to you because so-and-so over here has two moms. So-and-so over here lives with their grandparents. So-and-so over here is adopted. What, what does that word mean? So it's like when you start saying things like that, kids start, like their wheels start going. They're smart. And they're like, oh. So it's like we have to define it ourselves. I will say one team I'm working with right now, we are very much working on the you as an individual need to take care of you so that we can take care of us. But if you're not taking care of you, you are the obstacle that we have to jump over at practice. So we've taken the word family and we've turned it into an acronym. And I was so proud of them because they came up with this, not me. It was for, uh, first and most important, love yourself. And that's the acronym that they use. So at the every day, they have to love themselves. They have to intrinsically know that they're doing their part. And then they can come together as a family because everyone's doing their job. And they're a team who, like, really have taken the, uh, the foundation and, like, the building the building very seriously. And like in their locker room, they have like, they printed out bricks and each brick, like they put bricks on their wall and each brick is like a different thing that they want to accomplish this season. And it's like every time they accomplish something, they get to add another brick. And again, this is a team that I've been working with. And I told them, you have to do this stuff when I'm not here. Because if you're waiting for me, you're going to be waiting forever. Like, you don't need my permission. If you, if you think something is important to you on your team, just do it. And they have a very good upperclassmen who are, like, leading. But, like, they're showing the way. They're going the way. They know the way. And it's magic. And it's like, wow, in, like, two or three years, I can't wait to see what these freshmen do when they become upper. Like, are they going to continue the tradition? Are they going to do something different because it means something different to them? But, again, athlete-led 100%. Always athlete led. I love that that like kind of that bridging impact, right? It's bridging impact from senior then to the junior to the sophomore yeah. to the freshman and yeah. like continuing. That's how that's what a successful program looks like. And it's that continuing passing of the torch and then probably a little bit of tweaking, you know, like we have different yeah. personalities this year. And so as we kind of wrap up, you know, we're in the last inning, we're in the you know, end of the fourth quarter of the podcast. What is what would be your final words of advice for helping, you know? Um, coaches and, and even parents support their their players into building like player led teams and empowering themselves to to you know really take control. Um, I think the number one thing that uh, a lot of individual athletes come to me for um, is confidence. So I think they they're confusing the word confidence with self acceptance. Right? We all want confidence, but confidence only comes when you know who you are. You know what you stand for. And you are gentle with yourself, right? So we push ourselves, but also like when we fail, like we don't get so down on ourselves. So I think there's like two main things that like I want all athletes to do. The first thing is knowing your why, right? At the end of the day, why are you doing this? When you know your why and you are so rooted in, the, in what you're doing and, and why you're doing it and, and what it means to you, your effort is directly related to there. So you're going to do more than maybe what's expected. 
or you're going to encourage others to do the same because it means something to you. But there's a big difference between knowing your why and sharing your why. If you're not sharing your why with the people around you, it's, it's not going to make any difference. So I often encourage teams throughout the season to do, you know, it, whether it's classroom talk or locker room talk, is share your whys. And maybe our why changes throughout the season because I, I'm a big believer that each individual athlete needs to have a why, but then what is our team why? Like, why do we want to go far in the season? Why do we want, so as a team, coming up with your why, and sometimes as an individual athlete, my why might have to be tweaked in order to fit into our why because at the end of the day, when you play on a team, there's a little bit of the me that has to be sacrificed for the we. The second thing is there's a quote out there by Walt Whitman, but Ted Lasso made it more famous, and it's uh, be curious, not judgmental. Um, this is something that I use with leadership groups and with captains. Instead of judging right away, judging your teammates, judging the actions that they do, yelling at them, getting annoyed, asking why or just being curious as to, you know, hey, what's wrong? Hey, you don't look great today. Or, hey, why did you do that? It, it makes you a little bit more of an, of an empathetic person, but it also sets up the person on the receiving end to want to respond instead of react. Because if I come in, if I come at you hard and yell at you in front of everyone, you're going to either shut down in flight or you're going to come back at me in fight. And that's where a lot of team drama happens. But instead of assuming, instead of pointing the finger, instead of, you know, outing somebody in front of everyone, it's like those intimate conversations, whether it's done via text or phone call or after practice, you say, hey, come here, can, can we talk? It's more intimate being curious as to, hey, like, is everything okay? Like, do you need my help or do you need something from me? It makes it a little bit easier to have non-judgmental conversations. And I think that's a big thing with this day and age is we need to have more conversations with each other versus passive aggressively how we are communicating. And that's via text message where you can just fire off anything. And, you know, we live in a world where everybody has a comment. And because of social media, we all feel like we can say our comments without repercussions. So it's getting athletes to move away from passive aggressive and just go right into empathetic conversations. I love that. That's a great final piece of advice. Have your team know their why and just being curious and not judgmental. I really love that quote as well. You know, Ted Lasso, of course, is, yeah, is one of my favorite guy. shows. So, um, <laughs> Me too. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. This is this conversation has flew by, um, and I've learned a ton. I got a couple of pages of notes, and um, I really appreciate your time and coming on and sharing your wisdom and bridging your impact from from yourself and your experience to, to myself and, and our listeners. So thank you so much for your time today, Coach K. No problem. I love being here, and I really do thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like subscribe leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on it's the best way to help us grow we appreciate you for doing that we'll shout you out on social media i'd also love if you connected with me on social media let me know your thoughts and this is why i do it i want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world so stay tuned stay subscribed Cheers.